Hi, it's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? As your host, I welcome you to Season 3. This is Part 1 of the conversation with my next guest. In a week from now, you will hear the remainder of our time together. Thank you for being here. If you haven't listened to Episode 18 of this podcast with my guest, Melissa Mitchell, I strongly suggest that it might get you in the perfect mood to hear from this week's lovely adoptee. She's an Illinois senator of the 6th District in Chicago, and I am most fortunate to know her for over a decade. Her name is Sarah Feigenholtz. And when she was an Illinois state representative in 2011, I learned that she fought 14 years with Militia Mitchell to change the adoption law. In this episode, Sarah will share a part of her journey as an adoptee, being in reunion, and what working in Springfield, Illinois, year after year, to move the bill forward that was eventually signed into law by the 41st governor, Patrick Joseph Quinn Jr., granting adoptees in Illinois the right to request our original birth certificate. Allow me to introduce you to Sarah, someone who is in the political arena where laws can and do change. She knew early on, as an adoptee, what better way to affect change than to be a part of the process, up close, because it was personal. Sarah, I'm so glad you're taking the time to have a conversation with me. And I, I don't think I have personally congratulated you on becoming senator in the 6th District of Illinois. Congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. That was really great news to hear. Yes. I had a great mentor. His name was John Cullerton. He was a state rep. And when I met him, I worked for him for 13 years. And... He encouraged me to run. When he was in the Senate, he encouraged me to run for one of the state rep seats that's in his Senate district. You know, one of the things that sort of bonded the two of us was he, he's part of my story, actually, because, oh, I don't, you know, I don't even know where to start, John. I knew I was adopted. I was starting to think about my first family uh, you know, I think most women and their relationship to the moon <laughs> and the fact that they have children and they have families and they are truth seekers, at least I was, mm-hmm. I had thoughts. Keep in mind that I was born, I'm going to out myself here. I was born in 1956, in December of 1956. And The woman and man, my mom and dad, that I knew that were raising me seemed to be quite a great deal older than my friend's parents. Mm. Okay? 
it stung a little bit and and they were old school they were they were they were older wiser and they were old school sounds like my parents <laughs> first generation american my mother was born in bialystok and anyway little things that you know children pick up on came to light and i just came to the conclusion that i was placed into this family not born into this family mm-hmm. but no one in in the 60s or 70s ever told me i was adopted mm. same with my older brother who's 18 months older than i am i mean if you put us side to side <laughs> you would you know his face is like the map of ireland mine is the map of russia and poland he's very fair He's got blue eyes and freckles, and I have dark hair and brown eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, little by little, kids are very precocious, and they figure things out, right? Mm-hmm. When uh, we asked our parents questions, I mean, Jennifer, I don't know what happened to you or other adoptees. I know that it's very different for adoptees today because as they're coming out of the birth canal, their parents are celebrating gotcha days and they're telling their kids immediately because from the mistakes they made when I was adopted, they have corrected them because they knew it was cruel and uh, not the right way to go. So let's go back to working, you know, me going to the Senate. Well, so I work for this state rep who became state Senator. And when I was, and I ran his district office in Lakeview, right around like Belmont and Clark. Mm-hmm. My mother, ironically, my adoptive mom was a physician. She practiced medicine right around the corner from the legislative office of John Cullerton, which was sort of like the anchor of the community at the time. Um, I would answer the phone and, and the mail. That was my job. And his constituents would write in and talk about things and I got a call from this one woman about a certain bill piece of legislation and she explained it to me she said this is a bill for adult adoptees people who were adopted wanting to know where they came from very simple and all of a sudden I was like oh my god I'm not alone I am not the only person who feels this, wants this, thinks this, I am not alone. Well, now let's back up just a bit. So you, at this point, know you're an adoptee, but your parents never sat you down and told you. Never. They would say things like, your father and I wanted you and love you very much. Mm -hmm. That's about as clear as mud, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's basically it. One time, my mom and I flew to Houston to uh, a cousin's wedding. My social worker cousin, now she's about 15 years older than me. She said, Sarah, when you walked through that door, because she hadn't seen me since I was a kid. She said, when you walked through that door, I couldn't believe how much you look like your birth mother. Hmm. It was the first time anyone in my family had ever talked about adoption. And here's someone who finally 
knew something, felt perfectly free right. to help me. Wow. And it was just happenstance. And we sat down and I said, and I told her, no one has ever, ever said, validated this. And she said, well, I'm going to, because she's a master's in social work. And right. it's already, it's already the late 70s and things are changing. Yes, I met your birth mother at our house. Your mom brought her over and your mom was taking care of her when she was pregnant with you. We didn't know. Then she was gone and you appeared mm. as a newborn. That right. was, she she disappeared and you were there. And that's all I know. So, so it was the first acknowledgement and I got a few things from my mom after that. And she said, you know, I know that a lot of uh, adopted people are looking for their families. I'm just afraid that you would both be disappointed. And I never prodded because my mom was um, a widow and she worked hard and she had gone through some very painful things in her life, including putting herself through medical school, one of four women who graduated University of Illinois Medical School in 1932. Wow. Which meant my mother adopted me when she was in her 50s. Mm -hmm. And my father was a year or two older than her. But I, I was get you know how adoptees try to piece their life together, their puzzle. Sure. You know, they go back into the dark room where mm -hmm. they're looking for more puzzle pieces. But it was the first time I had any. Mm -hmm. It was the first time that um, I got any clues and I started my puzzle piece, putting mm -hmm. it together. And I, I had heard about an organization called truth seekers and adoption and i remember one time uh, they were meeting in somewhere in chicago and like at the park district in portage park i didn't know who these women were i didn't ask a lot of questions i didn't know if they were social workers or what but it turned out that a lot of them were birth moms they tried to carve a path for us in a very secretive, sealed world where our information was something we were not entitled to. And in my gut, like every other adoptee who's searching, I felt that this was cruel and unjust, and I didn't know why. Didn't I couldn't figure out why. Can't I get this information? This is ridiculous. Ridiculous. You know, it felt like a huge civil rights issue. Like, what? What am I entitled to here? This is BS. Fast forward, let's go back to me working for this state rep. I was in my early 20s, and I had gotten calls about a, a piece of legislation, and it turns out that it was about establishing an adoption registry mm -hmm. in the state of Illinois for adult adoptees. Mm. And there were people calling my boss saying, could you please support it? Please support it. Please support it. And it was like, I felt like I had kin. I felt like I was not alone. I felt like validated, mm -hmm. you know, and I, and I took all the messages and I looked up the legislation and read it. When my boss came home for the weekend, he and I usually met 
And I said, can you tell me about this particular law? There were a lot of people calling in about this to support it and a few against it. He said, it's a highly controversial bill. It is about giving uh, adult adoptees an opportunity to search for their biological families. Mm. And he said, I just want you to know that I am a co-sponsor of this bill. My sister-in-law, who lives in California, gave a child up for adoption, and she made sure that the family that adopted her baby girl was going to stay in contact with her. And I see how well it's worked out for everybody. Hmm. I told him, I came out. I told him I was adopted and I, I must've just burst into tears. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I said, John, this is about me. This guy I work for, he has the power to make these changes. Mm. And he has had his, his own life experience. And, and he supports he has, it. Yeah. He and now he has a staff person who is adopted. Right. I began my journey searching for my biological family when I knew that I wasn't alone, when I knew that there were others there out like me, way ahead of me, that were smart enough to know that they could work to change the law. This was the beginning of my journey, and I actually had met some people who had access to the marriage records in Chicago and in Cook County, And I remember that my mom had told me on that flight home from Texas that my mother, birth mother got married, stayed in Chicago, got married and had more children. So I knew her name and I um, called a friend and asked if they could look for her name. They looked and they found her marriage certificate. And then they subsequently found the birth records of her she had three daughters it was part of my clues once those pieces start filling in Mm -hmm. it goes faster Mm -hmm. and faster Mm -hmm. i was able to figure out that there was a grandmother that remained in chicago now that i've sleuthed around (laughs) it's scary So I'm going to guess you weren't connected to the adoption community. You didn't have like someone to call to be guided. Nobody was there. I mean, this was the 80s. Yeah. Who was out in the 80s? (laughs) I figured out her place of work and, you know, what her title was. and, And I hung up and got the address and I proceeded to think about how how I was going to contact this woman. It took me a couple weeks because that's just how adoption searches work. You get a little freaked out. You want to think about how you're going to do this and how you would feel. I mean, I sort of had to go through all this, this all by myself, Jennifer. Mm-hmm. I had to uh, think about what if I were her and I gave up a child, got married and had three more kids. And I also thought about how careful I was about hurting my mom. Mm -hmm. And she was aware of you searching? No. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. I had made a decision because my adoptive mom was so old, Mm -hmm. so much older than 
and that I wanted to search for my birth mother while she was alive, secretly or quietly, and then make the decision if I thought it was appropriate for them, for me to tell her or for them to meet. Mm-hmm. Okay. I sort of in my heart knew I wouldn't. I wasn't close to it. Let's put it that way. I wrote a a very short, innocuous letter to my birth mother that only she would understand, or so I thought. And otherwise, it it was sort of written hieroglyphics. You know, hi, uh, my name is Sarah. I live in Chicago. My birthday is December 11th, 1956. I think you know who I am. I said, I, I feel like I deserve to be able to say thank you to you for what must have been one of the most difficult decisions of your life. I can't imagine what you went through. And I said, I would welcome a call from you or a letter. I'm going to respect your privacy and I would, I would hope you would respect mine, meaning don't be calling my mother. (laughs) Right. It took me a long time to write this letter. And the next thing I know, in the mail comes this little green card. And I know that she has received it. I'm in my apartment. I was straightening out my linen closet on a Saturday morning. And my phone rings. And I don't answer it. So so let let me just be clear. You get that, the confirmation that she's received it. And right. how long has gone by between then and when the phone rings? Not a long time. Two like weeks. Two weeks, okay. I couldn't move. I could not move because she recorded a message that said, Hi, Sarah, it's Sandra. Mm. I will call you back next week. That was her way of telling me, I'm only going to call you when I'm alone. Right. And, and so the following week, there I was sitting by the phone. <laughs> I know. She calls. She calls. I don't know if it was that week or, you know, but I don't remember. Calls you back. And... She called me back. I remember thinking, wow. It took me months to figure out what to write in a letter. And this woman's got moxie. She just picks up the phone and calls. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget. I'll never forget the first conversation. And in my trying to, you know, fast forward, am I trying to convince legislators that about what birth mothers want? I always hearken back to this conversation where the first thing she said to me was, what took you so long? Mm. I said to her, what took you, me so long? Yeah. Why didn't you try and reach out to me? Mm-hmm. And she told me that I didn't think I had the right. Mm. And she said, when I placed you, they made it very clear that I, there is no going back. Mm. And that I could try to go back, but I wouldn't get anywhere. If when I became of age, if I wanted contact with you, would you be open to it? She started laughing, laughing. She's like, you're kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. You know, they told me 
that I was lucky that they had helped me find a loving home that I will get on with my life and forget about it. Hmm. And, you know, shortly thereafter, we knew how poorly birth mothers were treated, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. So she was never going to search and she... Yep. She felt like you had the right, but she didn't have the right. You know, so I met my birth mother. I was still working for John Cullerton, the state rep. And, of course, I brought him along on my journey and, you know, shared a bunch of things with him. And it was just so incredible. My adoptive father passed away when I was eight. Mm. So it was me, my mom, and my brother. Kind of a crazy dynamic. I'm not going to get into that on this podcast, or I'll take up 12 hours. (laughs) Our parents do the best they can with the tools they have. You know, the practice of adoption was a very new thing. It was a, it was a social experiment. They were, people were finding their way through. They didn't start out with the best practices in the 50s. Three Identical Strangers, as you know, was a film that I believe would help New York open without any caveat. I'm sure that a lot of listeners in this on your podcast have seen that that film Mm -hmm. and just sort of seen the cruelty of the time. But it was it was what they knew. It was that big argument. Is it nurture or is it nature? And for some bizarre reason, you know, social workers thought it had to be one or the other when you and I both know that it's both. My birth mother told me she came from New Jersey to the cradle up in Evanston. We all know the cradle. If you go in there, it's a magnificent place. It's in an old building. It's got black and white photos of hundreds of children that were placed. When my birth mother went to the cradle, I think was living with a family at the time. And when she was working through final decisions about placing me she had asked who was going to adopt me and she was told you cannot know that we cannot tell you that and she left she wanted to know who was going to adopt me mm-hmm. and she walked into the board of health and she met a little doctor who took care of her she learned that this doctor had just adopted a son and She realized that this was a person who believed in educating boys and girls. Your your birth mom was very intentional. So she didn't want to have anything to do with the cradle. And then she ends up going. She just, yeah, she. Private. Exactly. She decided that she wanted to know who was going to adopt me. I'm sure she struggled with it. Yeah. And she ended up asking this physician if she would adopt me. Hmm. And that's how I became my big brother's little sister. And that that, that position is your mom. Correct. Oh, my goodness. Mm. And my adoptive mother didn't have privileges at Edgewater Hospital where I was born. 
but she was in the room. Mm. You know, she scrubbed for my birth. And my birth mother told me that she took me and handed me to her and said, you should breastfeed this baby. And I think the nurses were just appalled. (laughs) (laughs) You know, birth mothers, you know, usually babies were jettisoned out of the room. Right. That's the first time I've ever heard that. Yes. Well, my mother who adopted me, these were the ladies of the firsts, I think. Because, you know, you have a physician as a mother, she knows the benefits of of breastfeeding and the immune system, mm-hmm. right? And made a decision right then and there that, uh, and I mean, apparently they had negotiated their own open adoption because they had a relationship. But I think what happened after that was that they didn't really have a roadmap. Mm-hmm. And then it became a legal thing, right, right? Right, When they would see my birth mother in the neighborhood, they would turn the baby carriage around and walk away from her, is what she shared with me. I like to say that my adoptive and birth parents were cutting new turf, not letting rules and laws that didn't really feel like they fit Mm-hmm. at the time that you know they were able to navigate around all of that it worked out for a while and what's and interesting I- too is knowing that militia went through the cradle militia mitchell yes. who at some point you would connect with and you all would yeah. go on to do 14 years of amazing work to see the adoption law in illinois change which allowed me one of thousands upon thousands of adoptees to to request and receive our original birth certificates. So when you guys connect, tell me about that. She's a birth mom. You're an adoptee. So let's fast forward. I get elected in 1990. I I take office. I run for state rep. You know, at this point, I've been working for Cullerton for 12 years. Mm -hmm. And I reunited with the birth mother. We had met. We you know, we talked all the time. She had asked me not to contact my sisters. I honored that. I see women who gave up kids and I see adoptees searching for answers. I won that election. I'm in the GA. I'll never forget it. They they um, wanted me to file a piece of legislation and they drafted it. And Jennifer, when I tell you it had everything in it, I mean everything. Like, birth records, adoption records, everything, like Mm -hmm. open it all, Mm -hmm. public records. We deserve to know everything. You know, I had a meeting with them in the Stratton building and I walked into this room and it really crystallized my purpose in Mm -hmm. life. You know, there's a lot of people who walk around in their lives wondering why they are where they are and what the hell they're doing Mm -hmm. there. It just, at that moment, I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big believer in God, and I have a great deal of faith, and I don't believe in coincidence. Mm-hmm. I don't, mm-hmm. and I believe that that moment I realized that I can't be selfish, that I can't just turn my back on my tribe, who didn't weren't as lucky as me. 
mm-hmm. to find their birth families. I didn't know that this is what I had to do immediately, but it certainly crystallized it when I walked into this room and I felt so much pain. Oh my God. I just burst into tears. You know, it had touched something inside of me that I realized that I'm here to do this because only I can do this. Mm. I have to do it. Who else is going to do this? Right. And and that's where it all began. I was a freshman legislator. This was my first year mm. physically in Springfield. Mm-hmm. And I had drafted and filed a bill that was so controversial. It was like worse than I mean, it was it was abortion and gay rights on steroids. Mm-hmm. It was huge. It was like an explosion went off. You know, we kept getting slapped down. Militia was incredible. We had to scale, obviously, the, our first initial bill was so controversial. I just sort of let it lie and sort of thought about a strategy of what to do and started to lure the enemy in and see what was acceptable to them. And, I mean, keep in mind that in in state capitals, legislators come and go, but you've got legal groups like the Chicago Bar Association was opposed, the State Bar Association was opposed, Catholic Charities, every single social service agency Lutheran Social Services, everybody jumped on this bill. And the Tribune, the only, the Tribune, like, raked me over the coals. Hmm. And I sort of just said, okay, well, this was, you know, this was an interesting experience. (laughs) It didn't intimidate me. I read everything they wrote and all of their concerns and tried to figure out how how to get around it and how to work it out. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, little by little, we worked on a registry bill and you would have thought we were ripping children out of the womb of mothers, of adoptive parents. It was, you know, at the beginning of a simple piece of paper, you hear arguments on the floor of the Illinois House. That was a registry bill, a registry bill, Mm. a passive. You could hear a pin drop in this place, a pin drop. That is how controversial a mutual consent passive registry Registry, just a registry, not the original birth certificate. No, No. none of that. Just the registry was a problem. Exactly. (laughs) It's hard to believe, but it's it's the truth. But you know what? But we were really, really smart about this because, you know, sometimes people will make up anecdotes that aren't valid, right? So, So, you know. Both sides do, but you need data. And what we did with the registry is we we started to collect data about openness and who's coming to the registry. And the bill passed. And the people who wanted, who, who on the floor of the Illinois House who attacked me the hardest were, were adoptive fathers. Hmm. Yes. So many little different, you know, there was no good or bad judgment. This was, as I said earlier, a social experiment. But 
Um, I remember one uh, one adoptive father getting up on the floor and saying, this will chill adoption, which was a, you know, a sort of a packaged line that our opponents constantly did. You know, even though the, the, these were laws that affected adult adoptees, that this was nothing, this had nothing to do with adoption of a child. This was about people who were um, long relinquished and asking adult questions about where they came from. And, and really, what came to light was their need for medical information. Remember, you will hear the other part of my conversation with Sarah next week. She shares what being in reunion for her looks like today and some of the moving parts with politics. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash adopteeland. Your contribution allows me to present a weekly episode free of advertisement and is greatly appreciated to add a valuable resource to the adoption community.